Would you take your copy of God's Word and open it with me today to Luke chapter 11? I hope you have your Bibles with you. Open your Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 11. And I do not want to see a show of hands, but I do want to ask a question of you that will hopefully challenge a bit of reflection for us. How many of us believe that we pray as much as we should? How many of you believe you pray as much as you should? I ask the question because I think it's safe to say that a fairly high number of believers in Jesus do not pray as much as they know they should. And it's unfortunate that many believers do not find themselves growing in the spiritual discipline of a healthy prayer life. And this is in spite of the fact that God's Word repeatedly commands us to pray. As we noted last Sunday, if God commands that we do something, just think of this, if God commands that we do something, why do we not take what's commanded seriously? Why do we seek everything else but prayer at times? Why do we put prayer last at times? Why don't we seek to bring discipline into our spiritual lives through the privilege that God has given us and gifted us with called prayer? Prayer is a non-negotiable necessity for spiritual growth. Charles Spurgeon says that prayer is doubt's destroyer, ruins remedy, and the antidote to all anxieties. And yet, we don't pray as we should. Why then, when we have something so needful, so powerful, something so critical to our spiritual health as prayer, and something so often commanded as prayer at our disposal, Do we not invest more energy, time, and attention to it? Why is it that we often turn to prayer as a last chance opportunity for God's help? And that only when trouble comes. More often than not, we turn to prayer last and not first because of weak faith. We turn to prayer last and not first because our faith is weak. And when we do turn to prayer as a last resort, that what weakens our praying even then is a weak faith. And the trouble is we don't truly believe in and trust God's promises as we should. And this leads to weak faith, which leads to very little and weak praying. This is what our failure to pray really challenges us with. If we're not praying as we should, then something's weak in our faith that we're not really trusting God's promises as we should. But I have some good news for you today. I have some incredibly good news for you. God knows that your prayer life often suffers from weak faith, and He's done something about it. God has given you the Bible to inform you and strengthen you so that your faith won't be weak so that your faith will be growing, so that your faith will thrive and grow, and so that your prayers will be powerful. You may struggle with weak faith, and that weak faith 
will certainly hinder your praying, but God does not intend to leave you there. We can praise God for that. God does not intend to leave us with weak faith. He does not leave you empty-handed. He does not leave you without hope and help. God has given you the Bible. It is why I encourage you and challenge you to bring your Bible to church, to open it as we open God's Word each and every Sunday to see what does God have for us? What is God instructing me with today? How is God's Word teaching me, encouraging me, correcting me, changing my heart and my mind? God has given us His Word, the Bible. God has written you a letter to inform you and to strengthen your faith. And this is why I started the year with two messages encouraging and challenging you to read your Bible in 2016. President of Southern Seminary and author Dr. Albert Muller says, We will not believe more than we know, and we will not live higher than our beliefs. The many fronts of Christian compromise in this generation can be directly traced to biblical illiteracy in the pews and the absence of biblical preaching and teaching in our homes and churches. The lack of exposure to God's Word the lack of exposure to the Bible and belief in the Bible leads to weak faith. And weak faith leads to weak living and weak praying. How urgent this is that we pay attention to God's Word and to the necessity of our growth in these spiritual disciplines of reading the Bible and learning how to pray as God intends for us to pray. So you need to read. You need to know your Bible so that your prayer life will be strong. And one of the ways that God helps in His Word is by showing us examples. And one of the examples God has given to help us in our praying is found in Luke chapter 11. In Luke 11, we find that Jesus' disciples had seen His example They had been following him around, hearing his teaching, watching him interact with people and teach people. They had seen his example and seeing that he was a man of prayer, this caused them to ask him to teach them how to pray. Oh, that we would come to God's Word with this kind of an attitude. Oh, Lord, teach me to pray. Jesus, teach me to pray. And we see Jesus' answer here in Luke 11. And this example is given for our instruction also so that our prayer lives and our living will be growing examples of faith in and dependence on God. So I want you to look together with me at Luke chapter 11. I'm going to begin reading in verse 1, and I'll read through verse 12. Follow along as I read from the English Standard Version. Luke 11, verse 1. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when He finished... One of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. And he said to them, Which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves, 
For a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, Do not bother me. The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? Now I want you to consider with me and think about this, that the disciples had witnessed Jesus' miracles. They had witnessed the wisdom with which Jesus spoke and taught and how He dealt with people. And they had witnessed His consistent prayer life. And I believe that looking on, by watching Jesus, by being with Him and experiencing His life and watching how He interacted and how He prayed, I believe they understood and believed that there was an important connection between the way Jesus lived and the way He spoke and taught and dealt with people and how He prayed. A connection between how He lived, how He spoke, how He taught people, how He interacted, and between that and how He prayed, there was a connection there. And this leads them to ask Jesus to teach them to pray. Teach us to pray, Jesus, they say. And in the response that Jesus gives His disciples, there are two important truths about prayer that we're going to take note of this morning. There are there are many more we could probably touch on in this passage. But I want to emphasize two. I want to think about two important truths that Jesus points to and by implication we find in this text. Two important truths about prayer that also instruct our prayer lives. I hope it's your desire to grow in your prayer life to grow in this wonderful spiritual discipline of prayer. Oh, how necessary it is for you, if you are a follower of Christ, to be in communion with God through prayer. You cannot grow spiritually as you should without fellowship with God in prayer. I hope you will take this seriously. Now, traditionally, we call this passage the Lord's Prayer. But in effect, it's actually the disciples' prayer. Since Jesus is saying, this is how you pray. (laughs) This is how you're to pray. And so here's truth number one from the disciples' prayer about how as disciples of, as followers of Jesus, we should pray. And again, there are many more things we could point to, but let's note two things this morning. First of all, here's truth number one. Here's truth number one. Prayer requires persistent boldness. Prayer requires persistent boldness. Now we can hear it in what Jesus tells His disciples. Persistent prayer is effective prayer. 
And we can see it in this story. Jesus told about the man pounding on his friend's door at midnight, and his friend is shut in and hunkered down for the night, and he's like, I'm not getting up. I know the feeling in January. I'm not getting up. His friend at the door. And yet his friend continues to pound on the door. And note in verse 8 how he tells his disciples that because of this man's impudence or because of his persistent boldness, his friend finally relents and gets out of bed at midnight to give him all that he needs. Persistent boldness. Does that describe your prayer life? I'm afraid that doesn't always characterize my praying. So what is the basis for this persistent boldness in prayer? If we're to come before the Lord in prayer with persistent boldness, what is the basis for that persistent boldness? I want you to notice how Jesus begins instructing His disciples about how they should pray. Look at verses 2-4 through four again and note where, pray, where, where your praying should begin. Prayer begins with, and this is so important, this is so foundational to persistent boldness in prayer, prayer begins with submission to God's authority and wisdom. Now, you would not think that persistent boldness and submission go together, but they do. In God's economy, they do. And for God's people, submission and boldness go together. Prayer begins with submission to God's authority and wisdom. The foundation of your praying with persistent boldness should be focused on submitting to God's authority over your life and wisdom over your life. So Jesus begins by telling the disciples to pray, addressing God as Father. What a wonderful reminder that the believer in Jesus is adopted into God's family, adopted into the family of God. God is the eternal Father of every believer in Jesus Christ. And when we think of a Father, especially a perfect Father as God is, as our Heavenly Father, God is our faithful provider who hears And doesn't just hear, but answers our prayers. Now God, of course, is far better than any earthly father. But it brings to mind the child who comes to his father for help. And a good father loves it when his children come to him for help. A good father wants to help and wants to provide for the needs of his children. A good father loves to hear from his children that they need a little bit of fatherly wisdom and advice. Or they need some help. Or they need a hand. Or they need to know how to do something. And then we see here this phrase, hallowed. Hallowed be your name. Or holy and honored and set apart is your name, Lord. Our Father. Our Heavenly Father. Hallowed be your name. And this What a wonderful reminder. It's a reminder to us that there is no one like God. We sang that this morning, didn't we? There is no one like our God. We sing that. Do you go to the God who has no equal in prayer with persistent boldness because you know He's the only one who can deal with your needs, 
what we sing. We need to pray. Hallowed be Your name. There's no one like You, God. Set apart, holy, honored. And we're reminded in this, we, we desperately need to, re, need to remember this when we're, we're reminded that, oh, my prayer life isn't what it should be. Why is that? Because I've probably forgotten this, that God is in control. We are entering, or I should say, we entered about a year ago. Maybe it was two years ago. We entered a political season that I keep reminding myself, we're not voting until November. We're not voting for almost a year. And here we're so riled up about who the next president's going to be. There is no one like your God. And in some ways, believers, I, I, don't get me wrong, I, we ought to care who the president is. But in some ways, we don't, we don't concern ourselves with that. Because God will put in place or allow to be put in place the person that He, that He allows. And get this, whether it looks good or not, it will be for our good. Because God will give us the person that we need. And we may, we may need God's correction, and He may put a person there who will bring correction into our lives, the kind that we don't like maybe as a nation. But we ought never forget, there's no one like our God. Believer, you ought to be intelligent, instructed by God's Word. And God's Word should form your opinions about who you should vote for as president, but please do not ever forget that you have a God who is a creator of the universe, whose name is hallowed, who is honored, who is set apart, holy, who is perfect, who is righteous, who is just, who will only do what is for your good and absolutely necessary to bring Him glory and build His church. God will build His church. And the gates of hell, nor the President of the United States, will stand against God's church. God is in control. And I think sometimes we fail to pray because we forget. Don't forget. God is in control. And hallowed be your name. Holy and honored and set apart be your name. This is not only that we might recognize who He is, but so that we might recognize who we are. We're not God. So this calls for submission, doesn't it? This calls for humility. When we come to a God who is holy and honored, hallowed and set apart, we come with... It is our responsibility to come with this heart attitude that is willing to submit to God's will. So we need to understand that only with the proper attitude toward God are we ready to come boldly before God in persistent prayer. And as we think about this passage, as we think about the disciples' prayer here, only with the proper attitude toward God are we ready to ask for daily provision for our needs. 
Only with the proper attitude of humility before God are we ready to ask for the forgiveness of our sins. Only with the proper attitude of submission to God will we be ready to ask for help to forgive others who in our humanness we look at and we think they don't deserve to be forgiven. And with the proper attitude of submission before God, we remember yet, wait, I didn't deserve to be, to be forgiven either, and yet God forgives me through Christ. And only with, proper, with the proper attitude of submission to God will we be ready to ask for His strength as we face daily temptations. That we might think, that we might say, that we might do what is God-honoring and God-glorifying, and that we might have strength in the face of temptation to not doubt God's promises because far too often we give in to temptation because somewhere along the line we've doubted the goodness of God. We've doubted His promises. We've doubted that what He commands is what's best. And so Jesus teaches us that prayer beginning with submission to God is a spiritual exercise that requires persistent boldness. You are not ready to pray with persistent boldness until you have been willing to submit your life to God's authority and to His sovereignty. And Luke tells us later in chapter 18, and this is the purpose of Jesus when He tells His disciples the story of the persistent widow saying in Luke 18.1 that Jesus told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. We talked about this passage last Sunday. But always to pray and not lose heart. Why? Because God... Would you take your copy of God's Word and open it with me today to Luke chapter 11? I hope you have your Bibles with you. Open your Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 11. And I do not want to see a show of hands, but I do want to ask a question of you that will hopefully challenge a bit of reflection for us. How many of us believe that we pray as much as we should? How many of you believe you pray as much as you should? I ask the question because I think it's safe to say that a fairly high number of believers in Jesus do not pray as much as they know they should. And it's unfortunate that many believers do not find themselves growing in the spiritual discipline of a healthy prayer life. And this is in spite of the fact that God's Word repeatedly commands us to pray. As we noted last Sunday, if God commands that we do something, just think of this, if God commands that we do something, why do we not take what's commanded seriously? Why do we seek everything else but prayer at times? Why do we put prayer last at times? Why don't we seek to bring discipline into our spiritual lives through the privilege that God has given us and gifted us with called prayer? Prayer is a non-negotiable necessity for spiritual growth. Charles Spurgeon says that prayer is doubt's destroyer, ruins remedy, and the antidote to all anxieties. And yet, we don't pray as we should. 
Why then, when we have something so needful, so powerful, something so critical to our spiritual health as prayer, and something so often commanded as prayer at our disposal, do we not invest more energy, time, and attention to it? Why is it that we often turn to prayer as a last chance opportunity for God's help? And that only when trouble comes. More often than not, we turn to prayer last and not first because of weak faith. We turn to prayer last and not first because our faith is weak. And when we do turn to prayer as a last resort, that what weakens our praying even then is a weak faith. And the trouble is, we don't truly believe in and trust God's promises as we should, and this leads to weak faith, which leads to very little and weak praying. This is what our failure to pray, or pray really challenges us with. That if we're not praying as we should, then something's weak in our faith, that we're not really trusting God's promises as we should. But I have some good news for you today. I have some incredibly good news for you. God knows that your prayer life often suffers from weak faith, and He's done something about it. God has given you the Bible to inform you and strengthen you so that your faith won't be weak, so that your faith will be growing, so that your faith will thrive and grow, and so that your prayers will be powerful. You may struggle with weak faith, and that weak faith will certainly hinder your praying, but God does not intend to leave you there. We can praise God for that. God does not intend to leave us with weak faith. He does not leave you empty-handed. He does not leave you without hope and help. God has given you the Bible. It is why I encourage you and challenge you to bring your Bible to church, to open it as we open God's Word each and every Sunday to see what does God have for us? What is God instructing me with today? How is God's Word teaching me, encouraging me, correcting me, changing my heart and my mind? God has given us His Word, the Bible. God has written you a letter to inform you and to strengthen your faith. And this is why I started the year with two messages encouraging and challenging you to read your Bible in 2016. President of Southern Seminary and author Dr. Albert Muller says, We will not believe more than we know, and we will not live higher than our beliefs. The many fronts of Christian compromise in this generation can be directly traced to biblical illiteracy in the pews and the absence of biblical preaching and teaching in our homes and churches. The lack of exposure to God's Word the lack of exposure to the Bible and belief in the Bible leads to weak faith. And weak faith leads to weak living and weak praying. How urgent this is that we pay attention to God's Word and to the necessity of our growth in these spiritual disciplines of reading the Bible and learning how to pray as God intends for us to pray. So you need to read. You need to know your Bible so that your prayer life will be strong. And one of the ways that God helps in His Word is by showing us examples 
And one of the examples God has given to help us in our praying is found in Luke chapter 11. In Luke 11, we find that Jesus' disciples had seen His example. They had been following Him around, hearing His teaching, watching Him interact with people and teach people. They had seen His example and seeing that He was a man of prayer, this caused them to ask Him to teach them how to pray. Oh, that we would come to God's Word with this kind of an attitude. Oh, Lord, teach me to pray. Jesus, teach me to pray. And we see Jesus' answer here in Luke 11. And this example is given for our instruction also so that our prayer lives and our living will be growing examples of faith in and dependence on God. So I want you to look together with me at Luke chapter 11. I'm going to begin reading in verse 1, and I'll read through verse 12. Follow along as I read from the English Standard Version. Luke 11, verse 1. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when He finished, one of His disciples said to Him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught His disciples. And He said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be Your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. And he said to them, Which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, Do not bother me. The door is now shut and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find, knock, and it will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? Now, I want you to consider with me and think about this, that the disciples had witnessed Jesus' miracles. They had witnessed the wisdom with which Jesus spoke and taught and how He dealt with people. And they had witnessed His consistent prayer life. And I believe that looking on, by watching Jesus, by being with Him and experiencing his life and watching how he interacted and how he prayed, I believe they understood and believed that there was an important connection between the way Jesus lived and the way he spoke and taught and dealt with people and how he prayed. A connection between how he lived, how he spoke, how he taught people, how he interacted, and between that and how he prayed, there was a connection there. And this leads them to ask Jesus to teach them to pray. Teach us to pray, Jesus, they say. 
And in the response that Jesus gives his disciples, there are two important truths about prayer that we're going to take note of this morning. There are, there are many more we could probably touch on in this passage. But I want to emphasize two. I want to think about two important truths that Jesus points to and by implication we find in this text. Two important truths about prayer that also instruct our prayer lives. I hope it's your desire to grow in your prayer life. To grow in this wonderful spiritual discipline of prayer. Oh, how necessary it is for you, if you are a follower of Christ, to be in communion with God through prayer. You cannot grow spiritually as you should without fellowship with God in prayer. I hope you will take this seriously. Now, traditionally... We call this passage the Lord's Prayer. But in effect, it's actually the disciples' prayer. Since Jesus is saying, this is how you pray. This is how you're to pray. And so here's truth number one from the disciples' prayer about how as disciples of, as followers of Jesus, we should pray. And again, there are many more things we could point to, but... Let's note two things this morning. First of all, here's truth number one. Here's truth number one. Prayer requires persistent boldness. Prayer requires persistent boldness. Now we can hear it in what Jesus tells His disciples. Persistent prayer is effective prayer. And we can see it in this story. Jesus told about the man pounding on his friend's door at midnight and his Friend is shut in and hunkered down for the night, and he's like, I'm not getting up. I know the feeling in January. I'm not getting up. His friend at the door. And yet his friend continues to pound on the door. And note in verse 8 how he tells his disciples that because of this man's impudence or because of his persistent boldness, his friend finally relents and gets out of bed at midnight to give him all that he needs. Persistent boldness. Does that describe your prayer life? I'm afraid that doesn't always characterize my praying. So what is the basis for this persistent boldness in prayer? If we're to come before the Lord in prayer with persistent boldness, what is the basis for that persistent boldness? I want you to notice how Jesus begins instructing His disciples about how they should pray. Look at verses 2-4 through again and know where where, where your praying should begin. Prayer begins with, and this is so important, this is so foundational to persistent boldness in prayer, prayer begins with submission to God's authority and wisdom. Now, you would not think that persistent boldness and submission go together, but they do. In God's economy, they do. And for God's people, submission and boldness go together. Prayer begins with submission to God's authority and wisdom. The foundation of your praying with persistent boldness should be focused on submitting to God's authority over your life and wisdom over your life. So Jesus begins by telling the disciples to pray, addressing God as Father. 
What a wonderful reminder that the believer in Jesus is adopted into God's family, adopted into the family of God. God is the eternal Father of every believer in Jesus Christ. And when we think of a father, especially a perfect father as God is, as our heavenly father, God is our faithful provider who hears and doesn't just hear, but answers our prayers. Now, God, of course, is far better than any earthly father. But it brings to mind the child who comes to his father for help. And a good father loves it when his children come to him for help. A good father wants to help and wants to provide for the needs of his children. A good father loves to hear from his children that they need a little bit of fatherly wisdom and advice. Or they need some help. Or they need a hand. Or they need to know how to do something. And then we see here this phrase, hallowed, hallowed be your name. Or holy and honored and set apart is your name, Lord. Our Father, our Heavenly Father. Hallowed be your name. And this, what a wonderful reminder. It's a reminder to us that there is no one like God. We sang that this morning, didn't we? There is no one like our God. We sing that. Do you go to the God who has no equal in prayer with persistent boldness because you know He's the only one who can deal with your needs? What we sing, we need to pray. Hallowed be Your name. There's no one like You, God. Set apart, holy, honored. And we're reminded in this we, we desperately need to, re, need to remember this when we're, we're reminded that, oh, my prayer life isn't what it should be. Why is that? Because I've probably forgotten this, that God is in control. We are entering, or I should say we entered about a year ago. Maybe it was two years ago. We entered a political season that I keep reminding myself, we're not voting until November. We're not voting for almost a year. And here we're so riled up about who the next president's going to be. There is no one like your God. And in some ways, believers, I, I, don't get me wrong, I, we ought to care who the president is, but in some ways, we don't, we don't concern ourselves with that. Because God will put in place, or allow to be put in place, the person that He, that He allows. And Get this, whether it looks good or not, it will be for our good. Because God will give us the person that we need. And we may, we may need God's correction, and He may put a person there who will bring correction into our lives, the kind that we don't like maybe, as a nation. But we ought never forget, there's no one like our God. Believer, you ought to be intelligent, instructed by God's Word. And God's Word should form 
your opinions about who you should vote for as president, but please do not ever forget that you have a God who is a creator of the universe, whose name is hallowed, who is honored, who is set apart, holy, who is perfect, who is righteous, who is just, who will only do what is for your good and absolutely necessary to bring Him glory and build His church. God will build His church. And the gates of hell, nor the President of the United States, will stand against God's church. God is in control. And I think sometimes we fail to pray because we forget. Don't forget. God is in control. And hallowed be your name. Holy and honored and set apart be your name. This is not only that we might recognize who He is, but so that we might recognize who we are. We're not God. So this calls for submission, doesn't it? This calls for humility. When we come to a God who is holy and honored, hallowed and set apart, we come with... It is our responsibility to come with this heart attitude that is willing to submit to God's will. So we need to understand that only with the proper attitude toward God are we ready to come boldly before God in persistent prayer. And as we think about this passage, as we think about the disciples' prayer here, only with the proper attitude toward God are we ready to ask for daily provision for our needs. Only with the proper attitude of humility before God are we ready to ask for the forgiveness of our sins. Only with the proper attitude of submission to God will we be ready to ask for help to forgive others who in our humanness we look at and we think they don't deserve to be forgiven. And with the proper attitude of submission before God, we remember yet, wait, I didn't deserve to be, to be forgiven either, and yet God forgives me through Christ. And only with, proper, with the proper attitude of submission to God will we be ready to ask for His strength as we face daily temptations. That we might think, that we might say, that we might do what is God-honoring and God-glorifying, and that we might have strength in the face of temptation to not doubt God's promises because far too often we give in to temptation because somewhere along the line we've doubted the goodness of God. We've doubted His promises. We've doubted that what He commands is what's best. And so Jesus teaches us that prayer beginning with submission to God is a spiritual exercise that requires persistent boldness. You are not ready to pray with persistent boldness until you have been willing to submit your life to God's authority and to His sovereignty. And Luke tells us later in chapter 18, and this is the purpose of Jesus when He tells His disciples the story of the persistent widow saying in Luke 18.1 that Jesus told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. We talked about this passage last Sunday. But always to pray and not lose heart. Why? Because God is in control. 
Because there is no one like our God. Because He is righteous. Because He is just. Because He is holy. And because of this, you can come with persistent boldness if you will humble yourself before Him, asking for His will to be done in your life and in this world. So here in Luke 11, Jesus lays this foundation for persistent boldness in our praying. And let's never forget that persistent boldness is only appropriate when it's founded in, and its foundation is that proper attitude of humility before God. After all, He's God and we're not. We pray to the one of whom the Bible reminds us that He knows our frame. He remembers, even though we forget, He remembers that we are dust. We pray to the one who told Jeremiah in Jeremiah 1.5, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. You see, God is the one whom the psalmist acknowledged in Psalm 139 and verse 13, For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. You did not make yourself. God made you. And He's the God to whom you humble yourself and come to Him with persistent boldness and prayer asking for His will to be done. And so prayer requires effort and it requires persistent boldness, but it begins with a proper view of God. Now here's truth number two. Truth number two from the disciples' prayer about how we as disciples of Jesus should pray. Here's truth number two. Proper prayer calls for faith. Proper prayer calls for faith. Effective prayer, persistent and bold prayer requires faith that God listens and that He hears, and that He cares, and that He answers. The problem with many of us in our praying is that we often don't pray because we don't really believe that God is for us. Somewhere along the line, we've allowed the deceiver to trick us into thinking God isn't for us. He's against us. When just the opposite is what God's Word says, we often are guilty of thinking that God is against us rather than for us, that God is some mean teacher in the sky with a ruler ready to smack the back of your hand when you get something wrong. Or we tend to think, God doesn't care about me. He doesn't care about little old me and this measly problem of mine. God has much more important things to do than to be concerned with this. But just think of that. That is not the picture that the Bible gives us of God. That is not what we see here in Luke. Think of it. Is this a God who does not listen and does not care about the needs of His children? Certainly not. Jesus is telling us that God cares. Note it in verses 9 and 10. When, he, when Jesus says, and I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock 
and it will be open to you for everyone, everyone who asks, receives, and the one who seeks, finds, and to the one who knocks, it will be open. The implication is is that God cares. He cares about you. He wants to hear from you. God does care, and God's children who pray with persistent boldness do receive answers from Him. God meets your needs. God meets the needs that you seek. You will find answers from God. God hears and cares about your needs. And just in case you don't understand this, Jesus makes it very clear by illustrating verses 11 and 12. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, we'll give him a scorpion. No no loving father would do a thing like that. No loving father, no father who cares about his children would give his child what he doesn't need in, when he's standing there asking for his deepest need. No caring, loving father looks at the deepest need of his child and says, I'm not going to meet that need. I'm going to give you something you don't need. I'm going to give you, in fact, something that would harm you. Here's a scorpion, kid. Go play. No loving father does that. And the challenge here is that we not get stuck in this rut of thinking God doesn't care about me. He doesn't care about my little problem. Or God's just looking to punish me. That is not your God. Let's remember this. If God only gives what is good for us, and that is what God's Word teaches, if God only gives what is good for us, then praying with faith also means believing that all that God gives is only for our good. All God's answers are only for our good. And along with the answer is the timing of the answer. Because we might be convinced, okay, God is for me. He is not against me. He will answer my prayers. But my word, would He just hurry up sometimes? That's why the, you know, we, we know, don't pray for patience. Right? Because God might answer that prayer. In the delay, in the delay to some other prayer, right? We always say, don't pray for patience because God might teach you a lesson or two about patience because sometimes we just don't understand God's timing. But get this, if God's answer is perfect, and it is, it always is, His timing is always perfect. If there's something wrong with the timing, it's us. (laughs) And our impatience, all God's answers are only for our good. So we must be willing to accept God's answers to our prayer and the timing to God's answers to our prayers. And we must return to the foundation for our praying, and that is a proper perspective of who God is. And get this, there's humility required in the asking and in the receiving. You need humility before God so that you can go boldly and persistently, but you also need humility before God as you receive His requests. Because sometimes... What you requested is not what you get. 
And we can say, some of us can say in hindsight, praise God. He didn't give me what I was asking for back then. But some of us don't have the, the privilege of hindsight. And those of us who do sometimes forget. There's humility required in the asking and in the receiving. God is a personal God, a loving God, a God who cares about the needs of each of His children. And with that proper perspective, God's Word calls us to pray with faith, teaching us in Matthew 21, 22, that whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. James 1.6 says, But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. You ever feel like your life's upside down and sideways? Check your faith. Check your faith. Check your prayer life. Later, James 5.16 says, The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Because God answers prayer. God loves to answer the prayers of His humble, growing, faith-filled children. So, beloved... Let's saturate our hearts, our minds, our lives with the Bible. God's truths, God's promises, God's instruction, God's correction, God's words of encouragement and wisdom. Saturate your heart and your mind and your life with the Bible, the Word of God, so that you might know who God is. And so that you might know His will. And so that you might know His promises. And so that you might recall them as you form your prayers. And then let's go to God in prayer daily. Praying as individual believers in Jesus. Praying with our spouse. Praying with our children. Praying with our brothers and sisters in Christ. And praying with persistent boldness and faith. Because there's nobody... There's no one like our God who hears and answers and cares and provides whose timing is impeccable.